Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. Well, welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, where theology matters. Uh, so we've had quite a while since we've done a joint podcast, just well, the two of yeah. us. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, just two of us. We had three cool uh, super joint ones. Yeah, it? super joint ones. That's yeah. where, uh, and by joint, we don't mean marijuana. <laughs> we just mean with the with other people. Um, but yeah, so we had one with uh, Kiefer and um, Sarah. Three. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's one I mean. day. But yeah. One day, one recording. And then we did a couple by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael is now an old earth creationist, right? <laughs> he is not. Okay. All right. Um, In fact, based on your promise to me that if Moses meant 24-hour days, you would be a young earth creationist, I'm now confident that you have joined me on the right side of the issue. Yes. I, the promise was if I was convinced. So there's therein lies the rub because I wasn't convinced. But, you know. Actually, the statement was... If Moses didn't believe in right. ages, yeah. Right. And he didn't. <laughs> well, did he tell you? Yes, he did, oh. actually, in, in Genesis 1 and 2 and in Exodus uh, 20. Yeah. So, um, lest we uh, repeat our uh, previous shows, we thought we might do um, a new series because um, it's, it's good to have a series, good to have some stuff. Again, if y'all have any questions, um, feel free to write them in. Love to have those. We can answer them. In fact, I thought we had a question in my mailbox, but it was actually. I like these kinds of questions. <laughs> I do like these kinds of questions. <laughs> Send us more of these. Uh, but it was actually 50 bucks um, for Mike and Mike Theology Plus podcast. So we're going to hold on to that uh, for equipment as we need it. So thank you, whoever that anonymous benefactor was out there. We appreciate it. We do. Um, so we're going to start a new podcast series on the covenants. I think this is good because along with soteriology, it kind of gives you an overarching feel of the Bible, kind of God's purpose from the beginning to the end. It gives you the big picture, like a bird's eye view of what's going on. Because if you don't really understand the covenants and what God's doing through them, I don't think you're going to understand the movement of the Bible. And even if you understand them differently than someone, it's still going to help you put in the pieces of um, what's going on. Yeah, you at least have some hooks kind of to hang history right. on. Um, and I largely, we're agreed on what's going to happen, especially if you were to ask, uh, if someone was to ask both of us, you know, what do you see happening in history? I think when we, we had a very long car ride to, uh, rethink last year where we kind of hashed it out for like seven hours almost. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we're, we're pretty much agreed on what's going to happen, but we reason to that slightly differently. The only exception is the, uh, thousand year, rain which okay. well, i would hold to and, and you don't so we'll get there eventually in this discussion but for this first episode um we're just gonna talk kind of broadly about what uh, covenant theology is versus dispensationalism uh probably need to throw some new covenant theology in the mix as well 
New, so there's new covenant theology. Yeah. yeah there, and there's also progressive dispensationalism. So, um, those are probably, does new covenant theology move closer to dispensationalism? Progressive dispensationalism moves closer to covenant theology for sure. Yeah. And new covenant theology is difficult. Similar. I mean, okay. None of the three of them have one checklist that everybody who holds the position agrees to. Right. Right. There's differences in covenant theology, understanding. Some people say covenant of work. Some people say covenant of creation. Some people say there wasn't a covenant in the garden. Um, I would say in general, you can kind of say this is what a covenant theology position holds to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think dispensationalism is a little harder to pin down because there's been three major strains of it. I don't think anybody's really still first wave dispensationalist. It's not popular. Right. It's definitely not it, popular. I mean, maybe there's some pockets of it, but it's not. Right. Maybe it's a not pocket dispensationalism of it today. West Virginia, but, perhaps. Um, <laughs> I, I would say revised dispensationalism still has a pretty decent foothold, even though, and you will know better than me about um, dispensationalism, but it seems like the progressive dispensationalism is either the most popular or at least the one that's growing. Probably growing because it's correct. Um, <laughs> uh, so New Covenant theology, um, it, I would say it's the hardest of the three to define because, one, it's the newest. And um, when you say the three... Covenant, New Covenant, and Dispensational. Oh, so you're lumping progressive with, you just have a broad umbrella for. So is New Covenant something completely different than Covenant Theology? I'm just unaware. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and, and a lot of the authors, so like I said, this is a difficult thing to define because there's no one position. This mm. started as best I can remember somewhere in the late 70s, early 80s. It really started being fleshed out as an official kind of systematic theology mm. position. Um, and it's, go, it's undergone a lot of change. Um, I've got a friend who's a covenant theologian who kind of says every time dispensationalists revise themselves, they come closer to covenant theology. And every time new covenant revises itself, it comes closer to covenant theology. And I think the joke he made was, we're already here, so we don't need to move. But <laughs> um, new covenant theology seeks to be kind of a via media between covenant theology and dispensationalism. Um, there is a massive book called... What was King the last King. thing you said? A via media? A middle way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You don't know of the Of the media? Of the middle? I mean, it makes sense. It's just I wasn't familiar with that word. No, via way. Yeah. Way of... Yeah. yeah. Like the via negativa, the way of the negative. Okay. Um, anyway, they... John Piper is probably a f- moderately fair example of a New Covenant guy, although if you go on his website, he officially says, I'm none of the three of them. Uh, I think Tom Schreiner is a fairly uh, well-known one. I think there's a guy named Tom Zaspel. So um, it's not a huge movement. Uh, it is something that I held to for a couple of years Uh we're giving a little personal history or whatever. I grew up in an implicit dispensational Southern Baptist church. 
Yeah, I grew up in an implicit dispensational Baptist Missionary Association church, okay. which split off of the SBC in the 50s from okay. what I've been told, although I've not done any research to verify that. But yeah, probably similar to you. There was, for me, there we didn't have a large structure mm-hmm. of systematic. It was just what was preached from the pulpit and taught implicitly. Yeah, and ours wasn't heavy-handed. Um, I just remember, you know, in the 90s, we would read Revelation and Mikhail Gorbachev was, you know, because he had the mark on his head, that was the wound and all, you know, in the Left Behind series. And that that kind of stuff was just assumed by everybody Mm -hmm. to be Christianity. Mm -hmm. And then as I got into my 20s and and did some more research, I came across um, other writings that didn't seem to be in line with dispensationalism. I kind of sort of came to a new covenant position on my own without knowing, with, without reading somebody that says, here's what you ought to believe, it's new covenant theology. Um, and then through a series of various things, including a friend of mine kind of challenging me and poking me and causing me to go back and do more research and do more research, uh, I finally came to I came from a dispensational premillennialist view to a kind of new covenant post mill view to now holding to a covenant. So what would the okay? So we're about nine and a half minutes in. So let's just talk a little bit about dispensationalism, the term. Okay. Because we don't believe in any covenants, right? Well, in covenant theology can't ever talk about the dispensations of God. Right. Yeah. I don't know how these got named because there is very odd to me because both dispensationalists and covenant theology folks believe in dispensations and covenants. So, well, so I'll let you define the dispensational terms being the one who holds to that. My, my supposition based on what I've read is covenant theology is driven primarily by understanding God's relations to men through the lens of the covenant. Mm -hmm. Dispensationalism, on the other hand, uh, at least classical and probably still revised. I don't know about progressive. That's why I said I'll let you kind Mm -hmm. of smooth off the rough edges here. But, you know, you have the seven dispensations and the rules seem to be different during each of those seven time periods. Yeah, there. I mean, there. The dispensation is another a, a synonym for that would be an administration or a manager, economy so, um, or economy. Yeah, so a way of doing business. And so I know in dispensationalism, there's this idea of the different ways that God has related or managed or administered His creation over time. But um, the covenants still do play a huge role in dispensationalism. In fact, that's why a dispensationalist would would hold to the premillennial position as as hard as he does, because he believes that that's what fulfills those covenants um, back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't have a New Testament, right? Well, we do have a new covenant. Yeah, so that's where progressive. So the. the it's a continuum. Like, like you said, there's been three major waves. Um, you know, the first classical wave folks believe that in eternity, the church 
was in heaven and the the Jews or Israel was were still an earthly people like they were separated for eternity mm-hmm. and I always wondered like where does Paul and Peter go like people who like <laughs> built the church like you know it just doesn't make I, I well Paul already went to the third <laughs> heaven so I think God's like check yeah we're gonna go back to earth right um and then so I think probably several of our there's at least probably a couple elders that that are at our church who would be what we would consider revised dispensationalists where um we do all meet in the end in eternity but we are in the church age right now and then the church will be ushered out in the rapture and by the way i'm nodding because i agree that you're accurately relating what they believe (laughs) i'm not nodding in agreement with what you're actually saying right um and so the we're in the church age now the church will be raptured out the the last um seven years or the last week of daniel 70 years prophecy will begin and god will take up Israel again as a nation and deal with Israel. And through that seven years, AKA the, the tribulation and the great tribulation, the last half of that, um, the one that John mentions in revelation chapter one, I don't know. Let's just not dive off too, too fast. I just want to, um, yeah. So, so that would be the revised, um, dispensationalist and as a progressive dispensationalist i i don't believe in a rapture I although be- i think most progressives they probably still do, still do yeah um, you're just an odd duck i am an odd duck because yeah. i just want to read the word and what does the word say oh i should try that you should all of y'all should nobody else does that <laughs> no i'm so not saying that they don't but i'm saying like i have been accused before of people at our church, like you hold all these odd positions. I'm like, well, I didn't grow up that way, but I listen to what other people say. I read scripture and I go, okay, I think that's what scripture's saying. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not accusing others of not reading the scripture, but yeah. So quick anecdote. A few years ago, I was doing CrossFit and one day at the gym, I was talking to a girl who was a worker at a local church, a big one. And I asked her what the name was, and she told me, and I don't even remember what it was. I was like, okay, well, what denomination is that? Oh, we're just, we're non-denominational. Oh, okay. She's like, yeah, we just, we really just want to do what the Bible tells us. And I kind of mumbled <laughs> under my breath. That's what the rest of us kind of think too. Yeah. Like, I mean, right. it, it, she was sweet, and I don't think she was meaning to be rude, but sometimes it's just. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the same, I just want to do what the Bible says and believe what the Bible says. Um, so I don't think that there's biblical support for a rapture. Even when I was younger and was taught it and would believe it, I thought that seems like odd. Like when John looked up in Revelation in chapter four and people were like, that's the rapture. I'm like, I don't find that very compelling. Yeah. Um, and then when you line up all of the so-called rapture, verses and you also line up the resurrection verses there's a whole lot of similarities there so i'm not saying there's not a resurrection i'm not saying that we won't be caught up in the air with him it's just that's the resurrection of the of the living to life so and you and i agree on that but once you learn about kind of the cultural history of what a conquering king 
would do and what the city would do when he was returning in victory. And you go, boy, that sounds a whole lot like First Thessalonians 4. You know, you go out to meet the king and then you usher him victoriously into his mm-hmm. sit, his kingdom, city, whatever. It, yeah, I, I just, I cannot square my mind around the first and second second comings. Yeah, yeah. The, the And that was one of the things when we, so we actually taught through first and second Thessalonians before you came here. And um, this this room that we were in didn't even exist then. In fact, I don't think the other edition existed. Um, and when we got to that part, I spent one Wednesday night on you know why I'm not a uh, uh, rapture guy, and Jack spent one night on why he was. And that was one of the points I meant made was that nowhere do we see you know two A and two B mm-hmm. of the second coming because that's really what a rapture you have to hold that Christ comes back. We meet him in the air and then we go back to him and wait, kind of hang out in spirit form. And, I, and we're probably diving too deep in the rapture right now, but Hey, uh, so one of my issues was, okay, those verses say that we are forever changed. Like what happens to my mom right now who is in heaven when the rapture occurs, how is she going to be forever changed if we go back into um, heaven with, and by heaven I mean the spirit realm without physical bodies? And then of course that. How are we forever changed? Exactly. How, how do we put on our immortal, glorified bodies? Right. If we leave the material plane. Right. Yeah. So. I think there was a lot of problems with the rapture. So I don't believe in a rapture, uh, although I do believe that Christ will reign here for a period of time um, as king prior to the final settling of all things. Now, um, there there is uh, one. Um, is that everything okay? I think so. I got a phone call. Oh, okay. And I wanted to make sure our video wasn't interrupted. <laughs> we have had issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm going to. Oh, yeah. So just step around. Right. Step around. I'll just keep talking while he's checking our video. And if you're listening to the podcast, you're just going to hear me going. Looks like it's all good. So, um, so the, these two big systems, and I guess up, up front, the only reason, well, I think there are some scriptures that you would interpret uh, more as allegory or as, you wouldn't say allegory, you would say apocryphal. Um, symbolic. Symbolic that I take um, to be literal, at least some part. Like if it's, you know, 2000, I, yeah. The thousand years may not be exactly a thousand years. Oh, no. <laughs> I, no, no, no. I mean, I think it's a thousand years. Let me just say that. But I'm I'm not going to hold dogmatically to that. Serious question. If it's a thousand years, will people know when it started? I think so. Okay. So will there be like a countdown doom clock for when Satan's going to be released? Well, that's why God allowed the song Final Countdown to be written. Because it's going to be played towards the Europe? end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the final. Well, so we don't need to get into that because right. honestly, that's not so much a dispensational versus covenant position as it is purely an eschatological one. I mean, because there's even some covenant guys these days who are pre mills. Well, yeah, because it's, it's the minority right. view in covenant <clears throat> theology. But 
you know, new covenant theology can hold to a pre-mill. Well, then the the covenant theology folks who are pre-mill probably it might be that I 100% agree with him. I I haven't. That was something that I just recently read that was a little new to me. I mean, traditionally, it's been Amil and a little bit of post mill. Mm-hmm. I think post mill kind of made a resurgence or it started having more popularity in the 18th century and has had a little bit of a resurgence lately. But Amil has been the dominant mm-hmm. eschatological viewpoint throughout church history. Um, I would be curious to hear a, a, a pre mill covenant theologian yeah. defend it. I, right. I just don't see it because of how I read Revelation, but that's. So it's not, it's not, it, it kind of flows out of my covenant theology, but it's not necessarily one with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're in harmony, but one does not necessarily determine the other. Mm-hmm. All right. So hopefully that's a good enough overview. Hopefully you're not lost in the sauce. So there's really two big systems on how people kind of view the movement of uh, God throughout the Bible. And oh, by the way, testament is a synonym for covenant. So Old Testament and New Testament, they're synonyms for old covenant and new covenant. You can, you can, you, if you want to make a nuance difference, that's fine. But they are. Testament is the Latin version of covenant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I thought you were going to say, well, not really. Yeah. Yes. No, I mean, they, so what, what happened was you had diatheke, which is Greek for covenant. That got translated into the Latin testamentum, and then that got like transliterated into mm-hmm. English for testament. So, so if you're looking, it's not in really the, synonyms. It's just the same word in different languages. Right, right, yeah. So, if you look in the Old Testament, you're literally saying the Old Covenant, right. and the New Testament, you're literally saying the the New Covenant. And by the way, I mean covenant theology would say that the Old Testament is the documentation of the Old Covenant, and the New Testament is the documentation of the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Although there are references to both in both. What they're saying by that is if you look at the parallels at ancient near Eastern covenants and treaties and whatnot, like the Susur and vassal covenants. Yeah. Um, they would write documentation of the covenant mm-hmm. that would then be stored places. And covenant theology, most covenant theologians would say that that's what the Bible is, is God's recorded revelation. These are the documents of the covenant. That's why you put the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. Right. That's why the law was laid up in the temple. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. And then in the New Testament, you've got Paul commanding people to read his letters publicly. Why would he do that? I think a lot of people assume these days well, that's just because he wanted the information to get out. And I'm not saying that's not correct, but that's also an indication that he understood that he was writing scripture that was covenant documentation and public reading is what you did with, you know, because when they had treaties, they would pull it out and read it like annually, Mm -hmm. read it out in public so that everybody knew what the treaty was, what its terms were. All right, we're going to do something we haven't done in a while And that is split this episode into two parts. So you will hear part two of this episode on the next podcast. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus. 
the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology.